Welcome to a surprise early edition of the Cover 2 Podcast this week on AthlonSports.com. Mitch Light, Braden Gall, we sort of told you we're going to do a quarterback podcast this week. We're going to do a quarterback podcast maybe next week, Mitch. That's what we said on the last podcast. Well, it's podcast. not a very important position, so I don't think we, It's really overrated. Yeah, yeah. In fact, of all the positions in a college football team, quarterback most overrated? 100%. In 2018 or most overrated of all time? All time. Because the kicker back in like 1911 used to be a pretty important position. The now, most important position. This, As far as I were quick detour here, my son asked me yesterday, this is sort of like most important slash most paid in the NFL. Most after quarterback, what is the highest paid position? Is it left tackle now? It's or not. It's, it's not left tackle. Rusher? But left tackle is the most important. Is it slash defensive it's end defensive outside? Defensive end outside. Like pass rusher yeah. and then cornerbacks. Okay. So those are the... But yeah. those are the most important. Yeah. Left tackle is more important, though. Than you those. think left tackle? I think left tackle is under, uh, undervalued in the NFL from a financial okay. standpoint, actually. Um, all right. So, instead, we're a little early this week. So, we're coming out on Tuesday. So, early stuff. So, we, we, we're just we're just so excited that we had to do an early podcast this week. We just wanted to give you a little gift on your phone and on your computer and your tablet, wherever you listen to us uh, this week. Because it's anonymous coaching scouting report week. Did you say that the right way? I don't know. Yeah. It's my favorite part of the magazine that I've... Thank you. The part that I don't, you know, that other people do. Yep. Thank you. Well, you, you aren't a football coach, Mitch. I, I respect know. your opinions on the games and the players and the teams and the coaches. Uh, but you don't work in the locker room. And therefore, I like... We like... We do this every year. If you want to tell everybody what it is, I'll give you the floor here. But it is our my favorite part of the magazine. Many people's favorite, favorite parts of the magazine. Many people say you get so. just You just get pure unadulterated coaching hot takes yes because their names aren't on it that is what i was going to say i i have discovered over the years that as much as a lot of coaches do not like to speak to the media when the microphone well the microphone's (laughs) on when their name's not attached to it they love speaking to the media. oh they're just like a bunch of gossipy sorority girls well you know what's going on over there they're recruiting the bad kids we're recruiting the good kids yeah yeah not us florida you tennessee that coach has tons of talent we just we get by on hard work. We outwork you. So yeah. how did we decide on what? So there's, so there's literally, when you get this anonymous coaching scouting report for a team, how long would you say it is? Okay, so just, just a little inside, on each team. inside baseball. From a layout standpoint, we have uh, space in, the, in our team pages about 300 words, 275 to 300 words. But so when I ask, I, when I get these in, I do some of them myself. I have some other writers reach out to coaches that they right. know. I ask for about 350 to 400 words each because I like to... So there's some cutting room floor going yes, on. Yes. First of all, I like to... Stuff that's just not as interesting I take out. And I also tell everyone who's involved with this, we will make sure... We will protect you. We will be sure that people can't figure out who you are. Like they, <laughs> Some coach will say, yeah, when we played them, I mean, it was a pouring rain and we could not stop them on the turf. Like, well, people could, you know, how many teams play along, them? If you worked hard enough, you might be able to figure yeah, out. Yeah, we're like, a big we, enough nerd. You could figure when out. When we really played them, they were really banged up. So I just take out stuff like that to, to be sure that no one gets burned on, you know. All names of coaches' egos were changed to protect the, the guilty. Yes. Basically. Right. So anyway, so that's what happens. We get a big chunk of, of, of scouting report information on every Power Five team. They go into our regional magazines. You get a small snippet of it in the national magazine, but you get the big chunk, the meaty goodness there. On in the in the regional all the calories in the regional all of the calories in the regional magazine. I'm, as I'm eating brownies before the, the show today, followed um, by pizza. No, you had pizza, pizza first. before yes. the brownies. Get yes. it right. Okay. You don't eat the brownies before the pizza. I do. Come on. You, Trust um, me, they were would. mini. They were little. They were tiny brownies. <laughs> Although I would eat brownies if I could uh, before pizza. All right, so we're going to go conference by conference. Power five leagues here. We do not do this for the group of five. So sorry. No, we we, we do for the national magazine. We we That's get true. abbreviated. We don't have the the two hundred fifty three hundred words. And what we're doing is don't be offended if we've skipped your team. Uh, we we have about we can't read teams. all sixty five right. three hundred so some word of them paragraphs. Some of them. While, like, Nebraska's a good example, because Braden texted me earlier, like, how come no Nebraska? Like, the Nebraska scouting report I was very outraged for you Nebraska was, fans. I'm representing was you. was interesting. It was fine. But there wasn't any one thing that you could extract that was like, whoa, that's really interesting. So, if okay. that makes sense. Like, then that means sh- these better be, whoa, really interesting. So, uh, and, and for the, for the Starting sake of Starting with Boston interest, College. <laughs> the sake of interest <laughs> and the sake of time, we are not okay. going every school. We're already over time, then. Because okay. this is going to be a lot, so we're gonna. I'm gonna have Mitch pulled his favorite quotes. This is you have complete creative control over this, so you pulled your favorite anonymous coaching scouting reports on all 65 teams. This is 
Probably about how many teams? 30-ish, maybe? 35 teams? we going to talk about? Yeah. I'd say Maybe more? 40? 40. Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't make the cut, don't be offended. Uh, but this is what we found to be most interesting as we sort of went through it and looked at it. So we'll start in the ACC. We'll work alphabetically through the conferences. So uh, there you go. All right. You get to start off. I will start. I will name the team. You read the quote. We will react. Then we'll move on. And, and real good? quick, stick with us. Got to be honest. Some of the more some of the juicier stuff is not from the ACC. Well, don't say that. Well, no, ACC is amazing. I would. It's, you should listen. But, I, to this but part. like someone, let's some say someone didn't find this like the most interesting thing ever. I don't want them to turn off the podcast. It sounds it gets like better. you're under promising. I'm going to over and under deliver. Over Sound like all right. Okay. Boston College. Boston College. Quote. Quote. Yeah. All these are quotes. These are not me <laughs> saying. Not right. Braden saying it. I can remember at one point our coaches were laughing when watching game tape of AJ Dillon. Not laughing at him, laughing at how ridiculously good he is. He will beat either Miami or Clemson at home this year. I and, love and, AJ Dillon. And we use a lot of this stuff with our predictions. Like, I'll come into the predictions meeting and be like, hey, Braden, you know, coaches really love this defense or whatever. We don't take everything. Right. You got to take a little grain of salt, but that's a good example of some opposing coaches. Like, cl- he's clearly being serious. Yeah. They, they, they think AJ Dillon is really, really good. Yeah. And, and I like that running game a lot. One of the only ones I think that can compete. With the Clemson Tigers. Speaking of... fake Friday night game that you're... It's a Saturday night game. They play Miami on Friday night. Leave me alone. All right. Clemson Tigers. There's not a better example of the vital importance of recruiting than what has gone on at Clemson in the past six or seven years. Dabo knew from day one, it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmys and Joes. Oh, Pat Dye said that. And you can laugh at that coaching cliche, but any coach who's honest will tell you that players win the games, not coaches. Nick Saban's worthless. It's all about Jonathan that was Allen. Braden Gall. That was not an anonymous not coaching. An, no, no. I, I mean, listen. I think Clemson is a perfect example of when you figure out foundationally how to change your program. It starts with a lot of different things. It starts with players, but it starts. It starts before that. Dabo went in there and won the job by saying we need to build this, 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 right. this, and this because that will get us all the players. It's a lot of chicken versus egg. It's like they got good players, they got better, which leads to better facilities, which leads to better salaries for coaches, yep. which leads to even better players. It just it doesn't stop there. Well, again, a lot of this stuff is th- there will be stuff that's self-explanatory, but we pulled stuff that we thought was examples of this isn't us saying we might say all this stuff on a podcast and you might listen to our podcast and you may love us and that's great. We appreciate you. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> but if you heard but if you hear what we say coming out of a coach's mouth unprompted, it may make what we say even better. Does that make sense? I think so. I think this is that was a very self-serving thing to say, but I'm going to go with it. Okay. Florida State. The biggest difference between Florida State that won it all in 2013 and now is the defense. They don't get after the quarterback like they used to, and as important, they don't cover like they used to. Two very important parts of the game, getting after the quarterback and covering receivers. It's hard to play pass defense if you don't cover or pressure the quarterback. Interesting. I believe Charles Kelly in charge of that defense, now part of that really amazing Tennessee coaching staff. So, <laughs> Quote, unquote, amazing. Well, everybody loves the Tennessee coaching staff. Um, Charles Kelly's defenses were not the good defenses at Florida State. <laughs> Georgia Just Tech. Saying, I, again, and, and part of what Florida State and Willie Taggart has to do is fix that side of the ball. I mean, the whole thing started crumbling with, with the Florida State-Louisville game. Lamar Jackson. 63 points, right? I, I was there, and then the North Carolina game happened, and Mitch, Tr- Mitchell Trubisky goes crazy, and – it's it started with the defense crumbling, not 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 the quarterback problem with DeAndre Francois last year. It was the year before that that it all started falling apart. Georgia Tech. Paul Johnson is an acquired taste. <laughs> I personally like him and think he gets a bad reputation as a curmudgeon. <laughs> but he's engaging and funny, and his players love him and play hard for him. And that's really all that matters. You have to be a heck of a coach to use that triple option at this level of the game. What's that level? Seven and five? They've been to the Orange it's Bowl a good twice. level. They've been to the Orange Bowl twice. So is Kirk Ferentz. We're on the ACC. That's a good one, by the way. Actually, we'll get to Kirk Ferentz. That's a really good one. I love the fact that a coach used acquired taste and, and curmudgeon, curmudgeon in basically the same first sentence of that um, report. I do think it is impressive what Paul Johnson does every single – I mean, to, to run that option. I mean, listen, Khalil Tate, very unimpressed. <laughs> with, with, with the, Which with the, the irony with is the that he, probably, he would have thrived under Kenny Montalolo. Probably. They, 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 yeah, they would probably. have tailored an offense around him. Yeah, this we're ignoring um, self-sabotage player right. AD stories. We're ignoring stealing Air Jordans and Nintendo Wiis and 14 championship rings from Scott Frost, even though you're clearly not a real Nebraskan if you're going to do that. Um, we're going to ignore all those stories. So no, UCF fan. So no news this week. This is just scouting reports this week. Miami. Mark Richt is 
recruiting his tail off. Anyone who thought he was just going to pack it in and ride off into the sunset doesn't know the competitive fire in him. I wouldn't be shocked in the least if they win the ACC this year or next. They're that close. I agree that they're that close. What, what, you know what struck me when I thought about this was Jeremy Pruitt, Mark Rick's stories. Like that, that the competitive fire that he's not riding off in the sunset, that it clearly wasn't finished at Georgia, right? Like that it ended way too prematurely for his taste at Georgia. And now he's at his alma mater and gets to, you know, gets to coach Miami potentially to an ACC What better way to go out? Yeah, like again. So I, I think if you're going to get fired from one of the better jobs in America and, you know, you have some discord maybe there on the coaching staff and, and disagreements and, you know, whatever you think of Jeremy Pruitt or Mark Rick, but those things happen and then you land it. You made it Miami right. of all places. Like tough fallback. That's yeah, a nice temperpedic you landed on yes. there after falling from grace. So North Carolina, there's no secret to beating them. They can't stop the run. <laughs> Haven't been able to do it for at least three years and maybe more. If you can run the ball on them and keep that offense off the field, that's the easy formula. That's a stunning stat. I think don't have it in front of me, but I think they finished last in the ACC in rushing defense five straight years. That is difficult to do. And 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 Gene Chizik actually got them from like god awful to like. Just bad, yeah. Um, and he was a part of that team. That that's crazy for that they were they to be that bad. And I think they've been to the ACC title game in the last three years, right? Yeah, two years ago they were they it went was eight, three no, years ago, three years ago. The Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, no, it was two years ago, wasn't it? I I don't think Mitch. Yeah, Marcus yeah, Williams okay. took him to the championship game. So okay, uh, Virginia Tech. This is just uh, this is just quality coach because you know everyone loves Justin Fuente. So, but maybe it's just me. But I think Justin Fuente did the best coaching job in our league last year. They won nine games without a consistent run game, and his teams are all about dictating tempo with the run game. They want to impose their will on you. If you're averaging less than four yards per carry, there's no way you should be winning games, which that's a good point. That's kind of a good barometer. I mean, under four yards is not good in the college game. No, in college it's very bad. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I listen, I, I think, again, justification for our opinions here. Because we love Justin Fuente, and we think he's done an excellent job. We think he's the right guy for the job, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, interesting stuff there from Virginia Tech. And I like I, what I like about this is it shows you it shows you what Justin Fuente really does, though. And this is what's interesting. We think of him as this offensive wizard, right? He threw the ball all over the place with Paxton Lynch and all this stuff with, with Virginia Tech. But it's about dictating tempo with the run game. That's an interesting He's gonna run. He wants to run tempo on you, but he wants to use the ground game for you. They want to impose their will, but if you, but if you can't do that, he still somehow figured out a way to win right. nine games. So that, I, that, I think that, that's that, that was the compliment right there. Yeah. We'll, we'll go. Uh, that's it for let's ACC. Do, let's do Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Let's got it right Dame. here. I don't buy all that Brian Kelly hot seat stuff. You're really going to run off a guy who has done what he has done? It's not 1979 anymore. <laughs> You're not the only team on television. Your facilities aren't state of the art. This is me getting angry because the coach is getting angry. Oh, yeah. They should, this, is, this is a dramatic reading. They you should redo be this elevated. One? They, have a, if they it should, should be, be elated. elated. They have a coach of that caliber. The days of getting recruits because of your name are long gone. Mm, dramatic reading yes, by thank Mitchell you. Light. Um, uh, interesting stuff there about just the change in landscape around Notre Dame. I love the it's not 1979 anymore. That's good. Um, the facilities aren't exactly state-of-the-art. A little shot there. Yeah. A little shot there. And like I think defending, and sh- defending the coach while right, shooting right, right. down the, you know, yeah. the facilities. Ripping on the program there. Yeah. All right. Big 12. It's clearly Charlie Weiss, wasn't it? Oh. Hold on. He's texting me right yeah. Oh, I thought Jeff Brown was texting. Yeah. Well, that's okay. FaceTime. Um, all right. Let's go to the Big uh, Ten. Well, I've got the Big Ten. I'm going to Big Ten. Okay. Hold on. You need to stall while I'm I going get... Big Ten. The really Big Ten? The Big Ten, and you did not pick Nebraska to be talked about. Or, or yeah, you did pick Wisconsin. Okay. So we're not picking Nebraska. It's not pick. I just extracted. You hate Nebraska. Why? That's. <laughs> <laughs> Expand. Okay. <laughs> Illinois. Oh, of course. This one's great. Actually, this one's pretty rough. They don't have a quarterback. They are terrible on defense. And they are one of the worst teams we played in the last six or seven years. Ugh. At one point last year, I remember watching on film, watching them on film and thinking, this team looks completely disinterested. If they had gone through a coaching change last year and fired their coach and it was November and they looked completely disinterested, I would say, that makes sense. Yes. The Beard was coaching there last Program year. Program on the decline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, that's pretty brutal. It's man. pretty brutal. Sometimes that's pretty rough. Actually, I have taken out stuff like that's kind of a that a little bit worse than that. Where it's just I think sometimes these coaches are just trying to take you a soften shot. it up. Why do you soften up the truth? You it can't handle that, the truth. 
It's not always the truth, though. I think sometimes they're being just too mean. Oh. Okay. Okay. Why, Iowa. Why would anybody be mean? I don't know. You've been mm. mean to me lately. Iowa. Think you look handsome. They are, there are very few guys in our business as genuine and loyal as Kirk Ferentz. Is 18 I, years pretty loyal? I respect him greatly, but I also realize he has a great gig. He goes 8-5, and five <laughs> and they love him. He goes one step forward one year, two steps back the next, and they love him. I wish it, would, it was like that for all of us. But more and more, I'm beginning to think it's like that for only one of us. <laughs> Not just in our league, but the entire country. Kirk Ferentz lives on his own island in Iowa. Um, what I like about this is the quote, my favorite line on this one is, quote, I wish it was like that for all of us. That, that this clearly is coming from, and we, we sort of, we're not going to give away any of these names, but this clearly comes from a coach at a program where there's more pressure yes. to win. Um, let's, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. But um, I, I think it's interesting, the one step back, two, one step forward, two steps, steps back. If he just keeps doing that, doesn't he just continue to go backwards? Eventually, they're not going to love it's him. It's more like one step forward, one step back. Exactly. Well, or two steps forward some years and then two steps back. I mean, and, actually, like, you know. Or two forward, one back, and then yeah. one forward and two back. It's just – but it's basically just – There's a four and there's a ceiling. It's just like seven just and five. bouncing back. Yeah, they occasionally win a couple more. Although, they, I mean, again – 2002, great yeah, team. Had, 2008, had, great team. 20, what was it? 2016. I like the years. Where they went 12 and 0 and and yeah. lost to Michigan State. I mean, 15, they, right? they've had some really, really good, good, good teams. They've also had some really average teams. Um, I think that's a pretty fair shake on on Kurt Ferentz. Genuine and loyal. That's yeah. a, those are good adjectives. Minnesota. I know PJ Fleck r- rubs some people the wrong way with all that rah rah stuff, but it's genuine. He's a positive energy, positive thoughts guy. Not that a lot of us aren't. He just wears it on his sleeve in a very public way, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some young kids really like a coach like that. Others crave discipline and direction. It's a balance. It's a balancing act. We all have to figure out. I thought this was interesting because it it speaks to how you have to address 105 teenagers, <laughs> and that you better be good at, at psychology, right? Like you got to know when to push and pull people, when to light a fire, when to coddle, all that stuff. Um, I, I agree. I think P.J. Fleck is pretty genuine in his rah-rah stuff. I don't know if that's good enough to win at Minnesota. Right. That's the difference. Like, I'm not quite – when I question P.J. Fleck, it's not like, oh, I don't think I don't think he's real. I think he's fake. I, I think he's real. I just don't know I if thought, rowing a boat's going to win you nine games. In like, the MAC, when all – pro there's a lot of programs that are kind of on similar footing. Coaching, can, you, can, you can recruit like crazy for a couple of years and get great players and win. Minnesota, it takes more than that. It takes more than rah rah. And you know, I, I, I think agree. he's elevating the recruiting, but they, they got a long way to go. All right, again, justifying our own opinions, Purdue. Very handsome. Oh no, sorry, that's that's my own notes. Um, this is Exhibit A of how the right coach can change everything. That's that program was a joke the last couple of years. They didn't do anything. Now look, they didn't do anything well. What a job by Jeff Braun. Don't misquote. Okay, but I'm misquoting anonymous quotes. <laughs> Nobody can angry at you, yeah. um, I, but I, I think it's a perfect example of what coaching can do, and yeah. we—it's why we think highly of Jeff Brom. It's why Tennessee tried to hire him. It's—it's it's why he will probably get a bigger job in the next and couple of years. Not really contradicting, but we just talked about the Jimmys and Joes the, at, at Clemson. It takes everything. It takes players and coaches. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, you can't undersell or undervalue right. Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and all these guys. Wisconsin. If they were a little better at quarterback, if Alex Hornerbrook were a little more refined, they would have been in the playoff last year. They could have beaten Ohio State in our championship game and probably should have. That's like, again, yeah, I mean, if they better things, players, they would have won. things that we say and think and feel on the podcast for reasons, folks, because we talk to coaches and we, we hear, man, Alex Hornerbrook is the one thing that holds them back. He needs to take a big step in his development. More on that coming up on the quarterback podcast later. Ooh. This Jeez. week or next week, I can't decide. <laughs> At yet. some point, I'll decide. I haven't decided yet. But I've got a I've got a category of quarterback that Alex Hornerbrook leads. Ooh, yeah, that South Paws from the super, Midwest. Super vague tease. South Paws from the Midwest. Now I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna pour a. I'm gonna crack a beer. Okay. Pour a glass of wine and a glass of bourbon all together. And I'm gonna kick back and I'm just gonna let you read this one. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Michigan. I just want to be clear. Hang about on. Let me recline my chair. <laughs> all right. There we go. All right. Go ahead. You know we're recording. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I just want to be clear about this one thing. You folks in the media make such a big deal out of everything Jim Harbaugh does. Oh. You're just feeding the monster without really seeing what's going on. Let me say this first. You're not doing what he did at Stanford 
and in the NFL without being one hell of a coach. But he has to start winning those big games at Michigan, and there can't be any more of those South Carolina gaffes. So, like, he's... That was good for me. Yeah, like... Is that good for you? He's saying, you guys are right, he's a good coach, but don't listen to him. This guy, this was all over the place. No, I, I think he's saying that this, this overexposure, overhatred of Jim Harbaugh is ridiculous. You cannot be where he was at Stanford and in the NFL without being good. So, he also says you guys make such a big deal about everything he does, which is talking which, about the which is rich, I, Which I don't, I don't disagree with. I think the media overcovers him. But I think the overcoverage leads to the overhatred yes. not being overrated. He's rated properly as really, really good. By He's us. a very good football yes. coach. And, but, he, but, but he also goes on to say, listen, you've got to win big games at Michigan. And I don't think anybody denies that. Right. That, that has to that, happen. That basically sums up Jim Harbaugh right there. Exactly. Michigan State. They were terrible on defense two years ago, and I think everyone in this league was shocked at how ill-prepared they were. Last year, completely different story. That's a little too vague. Like, just, Is that recovering from Pat Narduzzi's departure or something? That feels like that was three, yeah. it's a, It feels a little like they were really prepared last year and they were good. They weren't, you know. Yeah, good job by you picking that one. Yeah, it was fascinating. Um. <laughs> Ohio State, this is my, my, maybe my favorite one. All right, one of your favorite ones, yes. Ohio State. They are so darn good. There's at, no chance a coach said darn instead of damn. They're so damn good. Thank you. They're so effing good. It's oh. just about every... Can I say that still? Yeah, it's okay. effing. It's not... At a, about every position on the it's field. It's a city in Illinois, basically. <laughs> right outside uh, Champaign-Urbana. Okay, let me start again. They're Effingham. so damn good at just about every position on the field. You wonder how they lose. Maybe that's why when they do lose, it's the end of the world. That's a tough way to coach. I'll tell you that. It's tough for any of us to lose a game in this conference. But Urban has it going so well there. When they lose, it's like a death in the family. It's very similar to Alabama. It's, it's, it's a good very, snapshot it, of coaching. I think when it's a coaches good say losing, winning is a relief, losing is misery. It, 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 I agree that when you get to a certain level, like what's Nick Saban's record after his new? He's got a new contract. And everything it's it, good. It, it's like sixty-four and seven in the last five years. It's like when you are winning ten out of every eleven games, and you lose that one time that year, it's soul crushing. But like. I, it is very different when you're used to, when that's your expectation level and like the, the the pressure ages you. There's no question about it, and it takes a really awful human being like Urban Meyer to win that much. Ooh, that was not part of the anonymous scouting. That was breaking no, that off. was me. But I said it on the podcast last week, yeah. so I didn't back down. I don't know if you used the A word, awful. Uh, I might have used a different A word. Okay, <laughs> ass, <laughs> Penn State clown. He, meaning James Franklin, recruits different makers, difference makers, and his staff is developing the lower tier recruits as well. Look at Trace McSorley. He was a three-star guy who didn't exactly set the world on fire in high school. Now he's going to probably hold the majority of their passing records by the time he leaves school. I love that kid. Not really a, a, a earth-shattering no. scouting report of Trace McSorley. We all think he's really good. What I like about that scouting report, though, and James Franklin talked about this at Big Ten Media Days, where he said, listen, to be a top-five program, you have to sort of do everything. You have to recruit. You have to develop. You have to have facilities. You have to schedule. You have to have all these things, right? Financial support. He kind of like sort of painted the entire broad brush picture when we talk about what does it take to be a great, uh, you know, a national championship DNA program. What I like about this is that he, the idea of you got to get the five stars, but you also got to develop under under recruited guys, and that's how you build a complete roster. That's how you can compete against Urban Meyer, right? Because he's so damn good at every position. So I, I think that's what I like about this one about Penn State is it speaks to, you know, for for every. For every Saquon Barkley four-star top 100, they got the they got the freshman coming in this year at running back that's going to get a lot of snaps, Ricky Slade. For every one of those guys, they've got a Trace McSorley, and that's what makes a really good complete program. I think that's a good that's a good message. Yeah, there. totally agree. Uh, Big Twelve, let's go to the Big Twelve now. Iowa State on the program. This is this is this is good. This Big Twelve coach is delivered. Uh, we'll start with Baylor. Oh, Ooh, sorry. starting with Baylor. Sorry, sorry. Baylor Bears also Baylor. very interesting. Okay. Oh, Baylor. Here we go. Big Twelve might have been the most interesting, according to you. I. Might have been a court. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Okay. Art, and this one's not the best. <laughs> the next two are better. All right. Art Bryles got players to Baylor because it was cool thing. To, it was the cool thing to play there. It was almost like Oregon with those crazy uniforms and that brand new stadium and facilities. Then they started winning and everything steamrolled, both good and bad. Now, here they are, right back at where they started. It's a heavy lift, no doubt. It's a heavy lift is an interesting phrase to think about with Baylor and just assuming... That that Art Briles, even let's say, including the scandal, even that like, hey, you, this state of the art stadium and facility and like track record of producing big time star players, but it it still 
it, there's still a lot of competition in the state. It's still a very difficult job. I, I think we all look at ba- – I think we get so caught up in what the team is currently as the coach and maybe the current quarterback or whatever, and we don't it, – it's so hard to sustain. So hard, and even harder at a level like Baylor. And I, I think that's an interesting – to me, that's a, that's a that, – that scouting report there from a coach is more scathing on the program than it is on our priles because we can all rip on our priles. Right. So it's easy. But that's more about – Man, that's a really tough job. It's like where they are in the food chain. Exactly, it's it, they're further down than people think they are. They yeah. they were for for two decades maybe the worst Power Five program. I mean, it, throughout the '90s and 2000s, I mean, just historically bad, like 65 to three losses just to Kansas. every week. Yeah. Yes, every week. Yeah. Iowa State. Speaking of Iowa State, first time I met Matt Campbell, I was blown away. He's just such a sharp guy. He gets it. I say this knowing I have to coach against him against him every season and have to recruit against him. You can tell those kids love playing for him. This is the best part of this. Outside of Kansas and Baylor, they're the least talented team in our conference, yet they could have beaten anyone in our conference last year. How are you not in awe of that? Which is the opposite of the Dabo Sweeney thing. But again, when we when the Dabo Sweeney scouting report, when we talk about that, we're talking about top three, about top five, elite-level national championship programs. When you get down into, and I'm not trying to be disparaging here towards Iowa State, but you get down into that middle of the pack of the Power Five and even the bottom half of the Power Five, the coach makes all the difference. The staff, the demeanor, the attitude. And there's a reason that we're all big Matt Campbell fans and that every penny of his contract was guaranteed, right? Like, there's a reason that, that that's the case. How long do they keep him? I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm, with the, I'm with the coach here. I think Matt Campbell is extremely sharp. So, Kansas, I, I could have read the whole thing, but I, I just it's part of it. I wouldn't take that Kansas job unless I was desperate. Had never been a head coach and was offered a 10-year deal, 10-year guaranteed contract. <laughs> David Beatty is truly one of the best guys in our business, and he wanted to be a head coach, and he believed, like we all do, that you can win anywhere with the right combination of players and commitment. Here's the problem at Kansas. It's nearly impossible to get players, and the commitment <laughs> from those running the show is hit and miss. So here's the deal, David Beatty. If you're going to take a job, and you're desperate to take a job, and you don't get a 10-year guaranteed contract, and the things that you think you're going to help that are help you going to help you win, make sure that school has those things, like the right players and commitment, which according to this coach is not at Kansas. David Beatty was a wide receivers coach. Now, in the SEC, probably making good money, he got a – Power five job. Well, he was at he was at Houston, wasn't he? No, he was at, he was at Texas A&M. Oh, yeah, that's right. job. So, not many position coaches get power five jobs. I know it's not all about money, but financially, this will end up being a good move for David Bates. Oh yeah, and the buyout will be great. Yeah. <laughs> so, no question. All right, keep going. Kansas State. It definitely feel feels like this program is just kind of there. It's almost as if they are all waiting for a legend to say, "I'm done." Make no mistake, Bill Snyder has earned the right to go out of his way. But no, no, told, no, to go out his way. Get, go out his way. Okay, I'm, you know. He said go out of his way. I know. Way. I made yeah. a mistake. Yeah. A misstep. Yeah. Bill has earned the right to go, go out, out his yeah. way. But until he does, it just kind of feels like a big bowl of vanilla ice cream. I love <laughs> this. It's good on a hot day, but for how long? <laughs> and when do you start to crave strawberry? Uh, immediately. Like I, I, I don't even like vanilla ice cream, to be honest with you. I do. Strawberry's underrated, by the way. Strawberry, very underrated. Yeah. It's way better than vanilla. Yeah. Vanilla ice cream is overrated. It's Super overrated. Cream. It's versatile, but that's it. Yeah. It's like a five foot five, one hundred and fifty <laughs> pound scat back who like looks really good in Some seven on seven tournament. Coverages. Yeah, but like really can't break a tackle, can't really run between the tackles. You can't really you can't really throw him the ball down the field. Like he looks really dynamic. That's vanilla ice cream. Why'd you recruit him then? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I saw him at a seven on seven <laughs> tournament and said not not good enough for me. Okay. Oklahoma. Lincoln is going to have to make a decision on defense. They just don't look like they consistently improve under Mike Stoops. That's a tough situation for Lincoln. Mike's brother basically got him that job, set him up. Do you run off Bob's brother because the defense makes way too many mistakes? Or do you just hope he figures it out? I think if you – this is pretty scathing for yes. Mike Stoops, by the way. Hope figure it out? He's, I don't – I think if stage? you ask Oklahoma fans, they want him gone now. Yes. And I think that, that one I, of the first tough decisions... Fan bases are usually not good barometers of whether defensive coordinators should um, be fired. I think they're right on this one. Okay. And the first, and it will be the first difficult thing Lincoln Riley has to do. is He somehow negotiated this Kyler Murray thing. I don't know how. I mean, I'm not saying it's it just it is what it is. But I think the, I think the firing the stoops from Oklahoma thing is not going to be easy for him. And he's going to have to do it as a young pup, so right. to speak. So. Oklahoma State. 
They were all Mason Rudolph all the time last year, and that might end up hurting them this season. You've got to get a backup quarterback some reps when you've got a senior, and that just didn't happen. Rudolph must have thrown 500 passes last year. Did you look up how many passes he's thrown? No. Should I check that right now? Uh, you can't. And it just. But, it, but Gundy always finds a guy. Are we really yeah, but it went on that? to say, you know, that their defense was so bad that they couldn't. They never felt like they were in complete control. That's why they never. Did you get it? Well, no, you got to keep keep uh, four hundred eighty nine. Okay, so pretty darn close. Okay, pretty, TCU pretty, is interesting, and again, I I didn't go with the whole thing for in the interest okay. of time, but. Uh, Gary so this Patterson. Is, this is like in the weeds here. I like this. Yeah, one. Gary Patterson has always been a risk reward type coach. And he's not afraid to play guys who, in the long run, will benefit you more, even if it means that they will have their share of struggles. A lot of other coaches would rather play older guys who may not be as dynamic and make big plays, but won't get you beat as often. Gary wants the reward, and he can teach through the risk. I think this is fascinating. Yeah. From and a, also a coach with a lot of security and yeah, he's yeah. very confident in his ability. That's true. I, I, I think this is fascinating from a philosoph- philosophical standpoint uh, from coaching. Like if you're a head coach and you have decisions to make, am I going to play the freshman who might get beat deep on a, on a, like a safety, let's say, right? Might get beat deep but might get you a couple interceptions. I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting strategy sta- decision. And for them to like for, – for, for another coach to sort of label him as this risk-reward guy I think is really interesting. Because you're basically saying, "Hey, that coach, he he does things differently than maybe I do it," and i I find that I find that one to be really really interesting. When I read through all of them, uh, that one to me is it's a, it's a little in the weeds, it's a little deep into the strategy of running a program, but I find that to be interesting stuff. Yeah, fascinating. It's good. Like the fourth time I, mean, I just like said the, the just ripping on Kansas to the <laughs> philosophical, you know, on TCU and coaching. Kansas State for that matter. Yeah, vanilla ice cream. Texas. I this, might call them. This one might just too. be vanilla ice cream the rest of the season. Kansas State. This one's good. That whole Texas isn't tough thing is way overrated. It has nothing to do with tough. It's a lack of winning and losing every way possible. That eats away at a team's confidence, at a program's core. That's why Texas has struggled in, <clears throat> excuse me, since the last couple of years under Mac and through Charlie and into Tom Herman's first year. If you've lost like they have, anything bad snowballs quickly. That's Herman's biggest job there. Getting those kids to believe bad things aren't the be-all, end-all. You can overcome it. I, I think it's interesting that he started with Texas is a tough thing is overrated because, to me, that's mental toughness. Now, it's not physical toughness. I think that's what he meant. I mean, Right. I, yeah. To me, this is a clear lack of mental toughness, but like it, it feels like it's, it's like a virus. It's like permeating all things throughout the course of the entire program, and that, that does seem much more difficult to overcome. But I also feel like, like you, 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 you know, you beat USC this year at home, and like one big thing happens, and all of a sudden, all that goes away, right? Like, yeah. And all of a sudden, I, I think, I mean, just the, I think the, they've got good players, and they they're physical players. Like, yeah, I mean, Sam Ellinger is a very physical. It's player. the whole like, how do you how do you teach a team how to win? Well, they need to win. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, what exactly. comes first? Texas yeah. Tech. I think you have to be committed to playing strong fundamental defense, and I don't think Texas Tech is committed to doing that in the way they recruit. In the way they coach, on game day, on both sides of the ball, you can't keep taking unnecessary chances and put your defense in a bad position. This sounds like a guy who doesn't have a lot of respect for Cliff Kingsbury. Yes, like a little bit of a just yeah, just sitting back like, and like kind of going like, what are they doing there? Yeah, exactly. Like, really? So, uh, here's the question, just off the top of my head: Will Texas Tech ever not like? Will Texas Tech ever be like? An LSU program where they not not from a talent standpoint or winning. I well, they mean, hired Tommy Tuberville, who's an old, you know, pretty right, conservative true. Auburn coach, and but they didn't really change their offensive right. scheme. So that's what I'm asking. Because he came in and kept he kept because he inherited Is it because a, the high schools in Texas Tech that could be in Texas that could be. I mean, he you know he inherited a uh, a spread team and didn't want to be that radically different. So okay, I'm just, I just I'm just curious about like. 50 years from now, Mitch and I are sitting at a podcast and we're 80 years old and we're like, we're Texas Tech and we're... Like, is it going to be... I hope I don't sound like Like, that. are we going to be talking about how it's like three yards in a cloud of dust in Lubbock? Will be football? It's literally dust yes. on the field? Yeah, exactly. Uh, West Virginia, they're going to be good and potentially really good. If that defense can fill some holes, they're going to be playing games that matter in November. Nothing earth-shattering there. No, but I think it does. If you think West Virginia can be the Big 12 champion. That's where we might differ. Like, I'm not as high in West Virginia as a lot of people nationally. I like the coach here. I'm with the coach on this one. I think West Virginia is pretty dangerous. Defense scares me. I mean, that's what he said, too. Okay. It could be a she, I guess. No. Zero she's? 
Uh, it's an, it's a it's a Big Twelve assistant coach. There's no female assistant coaches okay. All right. in the Big Twelve. Uh, Pack Twelve. Oregon. Mm. This is one uh, that I you know I feel strongly about because I every time I mention Oregon, I think you have to mention Jim Levitt as the biggest. Yeah, because I think the co- head coach is. I know you do. Question. Oregon. Jim Levitt coming back is good for them. He can find ways to compensate where they're in areas where they're thin. That's what makes him a good coordinator. Their defensive line looked like a work in progress last season. They were substantially better at the end of the year. He's got them in the right place. That's all I do is compensate for where I'm thin. Yes, where are you? So thin. Yeah. On top of my head. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Very good. Um, I, 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 just, I, he's a really good he coach. Does, he, he is a good coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. Yeah. Doesn't have a lot to work with, and I don't know. I mean, Justin Herbert has to stay healthy. He could be super dangerous. They're going to have to win a lot of games with high scoring points. They're one, scoring to teams. me one of the more intriguing teams. In They're the very. I'm with you on that. I'm very. I'm very interested. Oregon in State. They need team identity. Who are they going to be? Who are you going to be on offense? How are you going to recruit to defense when you've got Nike money against you in state and national title contenders in the division? It's a mistake to look back at Riley, Mike Riley's success as a blueprint because the conference has changed considerably in recent years. If I'm Jonathan Smith, I'm selling state pride locally and finding something unique to recruit this, to. This is not a positive spin on Oregon State. It makes it like it's so it make it sound impossible. Like, yeah, how are you going to win? And maybe it's like I should. know they've won, but that, that blueprint doesn't count anymore. Because Mike Riley does it, it's, like it's irrelevant to go into Texas and find good players or or, or, Florida. I, or the league's better, but it's not really better. I don't. I don't. It's an interesting it, commentary on the league, the division, Oregon, Nike money. I mean, he, he. But with Washington developing, it's a big difference. That is where the, the conference has Stanford's changed. Stanford's good now. I mean, well, but not ten years ago they weren't good. Yeah, I mean, I think when Oregon State Jim, was Jim Harbaugh good, was there ten years ago. When Oregon State was get, was good. Originally, under Mike Riley, Stanford was a non-factor. That's true. That's true. I was thinking like 08, though, yeah. when they beat USC. No, I was thinking more early tenure. when Steven they, like, Jackson. Chad Johnson. Yeah, okay. Ocho Cinco. Okay. Stanford, defensively. Pretty, pretty, pretty bold commentary on the Oregon State program yeah. there. Stanford, they, defensively, they've fallen off a bit. They're losing a lot of their front guys, and they redshirt and, quote, system their players, but that's still the heart of who they are. You have to account for that turnover. They looked outmatched against USC's offense both times. They, they kind of all what, over the place. Yeah, though. what I don't like about the USC commentary is that it was at the beginning of the year. Like they, that was like the week two or three of the season, and they got better as the year went on. They changed their quarterback. Uh, I do agree that they system their players, whatever that means. But I, I mean, I, I kind of get what his point is there. The question for Stan, their offense could be electric for Stanford with Bryce Love and Costello, and they could be really good. The question is. I mean, I, I think it's fair to ask about the defense. I, I just don't – I feel like I just it buy bounced back a little David bit last Shaw. year, but I mean, since Derek Mason's been gone, it, it hasn't been That's true. elite. Okay. Um, Washington, offensively, they're actually a very simple team. It's just that they're really good at what they do, and they do it multiple ways. That's great coaching. It jumps out on film. And what I wanted to ask about that, like, you hear that. When you read that, when you hear, you hear that, do you think that's a compliment or not? Is it just like – because – they were really good at Boise State for years and years. They probably had better players than everyone in the league. Now, I know they won some big you know, non-conference games. Is this, is this a compliment, or is this a they just have good players and they don't really do anything fancy? It's an interesting question because I think, I think you can have a very simple offense that is very difficult to defend, right? Like you can have a very – I mean, Jake Browning isn't exactly running like these crazy – not a lot of eye candy. Yeah, but I don't think that's a problem. I think that's football. Like, yeah. I think you can do it a lot of different ways. So I think having really good players and executing at a really high level and being very physically tough and you know knowing how to do exactly what you're supposed to do, I think there's a lot to be said about that, especially in a league where you know there's not nearly as many physical teams along the line of scrimmage on defense as the, like Pac-12. You can, you can win that way. I think, it's, I think it's a compliment. I think it's very complimentary. Yeah, I do too. Washington State. Can Tracy Clays be successful coaching opposite a leech offense? He's a solid coordinator, but there's a, there's the talent deficiency issue at that school and a time of possession issue with Leach. Coaching a defense for Leach is one of the toughest jobs in the country. There's a reason where Alex Grinch was recruited to Ohio State. This is interesting because we we talk so much about how when you practice against the spread, it helps your defense, right? Because everybody's running the spread. Well, this is saying the opposite. This is saying it's leech specifically. And I wonder, when I first read that, I wonder, well, they don't does run that the ball, mean, does that, possession. Right, does that mean leech takes every defensive player, 
uh, in recruiting, like the, the the splits, right? Like LSU takes every player they recruit and they try them on defense first. Right. Uh, and then they end up on offense. And I feel like that's what Washington State does, but in reverse. And then you top it off with inability to run the football. I think Alex Grinch is a fantastic defensive coach, so losing him was a big blow. Washington State's one of the few, Washington State might have the biggest swing in our rankings from nine wins last year to outside the top 60 in the preseason of any team in the country from a win I mean, standpoint. A lot of turnover personnel and the coaching. I mean, Very again, difficult yeah. division. Yeah. Cal's getting better, so on and so forth. Okay. Arizona. At Arizona, you can either go into L.A. or Texas to fill out recruiting, and obviously they can sell in Texas. Kevin Sumlin will be able to go as far east as Dallas and compete for talent. Can't remember a time when Arizona could do that. There was also a, a comment earlier that er, comparing the programs in Arizona and Texas A and M. I mean, Texas A and M is much bigger, everything, but I think maybe in the the pecking order within their division, what he was getting at. Yeah, okay, I can follow that. I I don't really know. Arizona is one of those other programs. I mean, interesting this year as a team, Khalil Tate's a fascinating guy, but I think Arizona is an interesting program. Like you, you sort of feel like they should be better. Why? I, I, that's uh, th- what makes them interesting is that I don't right. have a specific answer. I've always to that. been fascinated by the Arizona versus Arizona State battle. Arizona State yeah. traditionally has been a better program, but you can look at, like you said, both of them should be better, but they both can't be good. Like, there's just do the math. Not everyone's not be good. So, like, why is, you know, what? So, there's not enough players. Good, Cali- so why why should players, Arizona be good? There's enough players in California for them both to be good. Like, to me, if you're saying Pac 12, the fact that Washington State ever has a good team. It, like should should always be behind Arizona schools. So should Oregon, Oregon State. State should always be behind Arizona schools. Who else? Cal because it's sort of commitment. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean. I don't, yes. I mean. I think the Arizona schools are an interesting Colorado? thing. They Colorado. Traditionally won a national title, but they and they've sort of gone. They've sort of waffled on their commitment over yeah. the years. But it's bad. But it's been it's been, been bad for years. long long stretches of time. I just think Arizona and Arizona State are too. I'm not. Close I'm just being devil's advocate. No. No. I, I know. Yeah. I I find them. I find them to be programs that should be pretty decent. Like if they Wisconsin, both, if Wisconsin is good, then Arizona and Arizona they, State they be both good. they both both spiked. I mean, Arizona played in the Fiesta Bowl what three years ago. Arizona State's had some some good years, so they both have potential. Again, if Wisconsin can be good, then Arizona school should be good. Arizona State. The idea of hiring <laughs> a new head coach with existing coordinators is dumb. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, Phil Montgomery. Not no, it's not Phil Montgomery. It's uh, Phil Bennett. Yeah, yeah, Bennett. This is fixed in the magazine. This, this is from a Word doc. <laughs> this is fact checked. Yeah, uh, basically the two coordinators were right, were right yeah. to get out is the quote. And yeah, um, yeah Billy Napier took the the head coaching job back in Louisiana. Louisiana. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I think That's, the whole the whole the whole like athletic director is going to hire a coach who keeps these that press conference was just the whole offseason for Arizona State's been so weird yeah again I put them up there with who I mentioned earlier as, as Oregon, Oregon. I, or Arizona State to me Pac-12 is interesting yeah. man Austin Ford Chip teams. Kelly's out there now the whole thing's interesting always is but UCLA so now. speed is what we talk about with Chip but Oregon teams sometimes use speed to compensate for size and physicality he won't have to do that in Los Angeles I thought that was really interesting that he won't have to do that compensating and I'm like there's so, not that many dudes that are I that mean, big and he, that fast. He recruited Eric Armstead, who was like 6'6", six, six, I think. Right. So I, I want to say... That's kind of an overgeneralization, I think. I, I, I don't know about that, though. Cause I, so I started thinking about it when I read the, 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 the context of the quote, and I was like, well, he did have a lot of little players at Oregon. And now he had a couple big tight ends and a couple of nice receivers, and Marcus was he recruited Marcus. He was 6'4". Um, if Chip... If, in fact... Let's go with this quote for a minute and think, if, in fact... Chip Kelly gets to recruit the athletes that he had at Oregon, but they're big and strong. Does that not make UCLA a force? Yes. Well, that's what everyone thinks. Like it makes you're them, in Los Angeles. You're finally Clemson. You're woken up now. You're the giant that's been sleeping forever. They need a Clemson-type commitment. Yes, they do. They got the facilities now. Yeah. USC. I'd ask T. Martin, offense coordinator, what's your identity? What are you going to build around? Their offensive line got handled in the Cotton Bowl. That game showed how far they still are from being that top five level program on offense. I like the T. Martin identity question because I don't know, is it Sam Darnold? Was it Tyson Helton? Was it Clay Helton? Or was it T. Martin? I'm I'm fascinated with what USC is on offense moving forward because I think Clay Helton instilled the offensive toughness and the physicality in the running game, but Sam Darnold was the reason they were good, right? So I think that's why – I, I find that quote to be interesting that he's like, 
I'd like to know what T. Martin's going to be. Here's my biggest problem if I'm USC fan. T. Martin's former head coach is the athletic director at T. Martin's alma mater and did not have any interest in interviewing him for the head coaching job at that school in the middle of a cluster you-know-what. Yeah. So what does that mean about Phil Fulmer's opinion of T. Martin as a potential as a coach? Not Oh, I think we could do an entire podcast so about that. So that's my yeah. concern. Yeah. Speaking of Tennessee, Florida. Florida. Okay. <laughs> Let's move to the SEC. Florida. Tennessee and Florida have some of the same problems. They have some good players, but they've made some mistakes. Not so much from a talent perspective, but from a character perspective. Mm. They have made some mistakes in recruiting. Player development is also something that didn't, they didn't do a great job either. I, I think Dan Mullen will fix that immediately. Yeah, that's right. The player but this is why part? you bring a frying – no, the, the, clearly they need to bring not frying pans to yes. a gunfight. Also how, not going to be on the podcast. How today. long does it take – this is a very difficult question to answer specifically, but how long does it take to change a culture when a culture has gone awry? Does just winning – does just opening um, up five and one change your culture because everyone's uh, buying in? I think there's different kinds of culture. There's losing yeah. culture, and then there's like culture like, of bad apples. And then I think there's toughness. Yeah, you know, like a, like a is it a country club or is it a blue collar mentality? I think there's some of that too, um, which I think takes longer. I think the toughness factor takes longer because you have to like chisel people back into tough situations. But um, I, I think the Florida cultural discipline problem's been around a long time. Yeah, that, that's not a new thing um, for Florida. So I, I think Mullen will do the most important thing, which is make them physically tough, mentally tough. And you'll do a great job coaching. And they'll develop. And you'll develop them. So they may still be a bunch of jerks on the team, but I think they're going to be really good at football. Okay. Whatever that's worth. Georgia, when they walked on the field, they just looked like a championship football team. I don't know that I've ever seen a team make the strides from one year to the next that Georgia did. They're going to run away with the East. Nobody is close to them right now. And if you follow I, recruiting, no one's hard to really argue with anything close. that's said yeah. there. Um they, they did look like a championship football team last year yes. and probably should have won it. Missouri, they make you define yourself as a defense. Are we committed to stopping the run or are we committed to defending the pass? My point is the running backs aren't running against loaded boxes a lot. And we've heard this about Josh Heupel's defense. They do a really good job with the numbers game. They, offense. They, offense. They've got a, a smart quarterback. Drew Locke was, you know, back for, as a senior. Uh, new, do new. they say the same things about Derek Dooley? We'll find out. I would say my guess is no. Okay. We'll see. Okay. I, I do like when you – this one's a little more in the weeds, though, yeah. with Missouri. You kind of have to be like – because a lot of that scouting report was about timing, and they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly where they're supposed to be. They execute really well, and they move fast. And you have it, it makes you to sort of adjust. And he sort of explains that a little bit there. Um, they, they are they are an interesting team this year. So, I can't wait for college football as we sit here and go, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting. South Carolina. The game that earned my respect the most was the Michigan, Michigan game in the Outback Bowl. I know they had some games during the regular season they could have lost, like the Tennessee game, the w- Louisiana Tech game, and even the Vanderbilt game, but they won them, so give them credit. <laughs> I don't think they were a fluke at all. It's an interesting, always, the sample size isn't great. When you play college football, you win a lot of close games. Is it because you're mentally tough, or is it because the ball bounces your way? You know, How many times do you win a game on the two plays that they won the game against Louisiana Tech? How many times do you win a game where the other team two hundred yards? Well, when the other team has four cracks at it from the one yard line, you know, like how many times do you win those games? And I, I, I don't know the answer. To that. Right, yeah. it, give them credit; they won the games. Speaking of Tennessee, there are some really good quarterbacks in this league, and not many were more highly ranked than Jared Garantano. But he sure didn't play very well last year when he got the chance. He holds onto the ball too long and takes some unnecessary hits. Then another, I add, strung together two things. They have done a they've done a poor job stopping the run in the past few years. I don't think they're very big or strong in their front seven, and I don't think they have the players in the perimeter at the corner positions that Coach Pruitt in that group is used to having. I agree with all of that. Um, I do think Garantano is going to be better. I, I think, think he will end up starting more games than Keller Chris. I year. think he will start think, for most of the season. I think Keller Chris might start day one, but I think Garantano. I think, I think, I think at some point they'll realize he's not. He doesn't move the needle. I think so if you're a Tennessee fan, you want Garantano in the lineup. Just my opinion. I, I agree. Um, and I agree with the defense on the especially at corner. They, yeah. they don't have they don't have players at that position. They got players at other positions. So Pruitt should do some work. 
Vanderbilt. I think they're struggling to find playmakers on both sides of the ball. I don't see those same athletes that they had a few years ago on defense, and I don't see a Jordan Matthews or a Jonathan Krause or some of those guys in the perimeter on offense. Yeah. Good one quarterback. Thing, good quarterback. I'll take that over not having athletes on the outside. Yeah, one thing. But James Franklin inherited three guys, three wide receivers who played in the NFL, yeah, and Zach Stacy who played in the NFL. Yeah, not bad. Um, Alabama, they are really poorly coached. And oh no, sorry, that was not that was someone else. I haven't recruited a lot of Jimmys and Joes. Right. Yes. Yeah. What are they doing there? Yeah, no why identity. is Alabama in the SEC? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just blown away watching the national title game. And all those true freshmen running around making play after play for that offense. Three receivers, a left tackle, a stud tailback who barely saw the field, and of course Tua. What a future there! Which is a super <laughs> great way to go. I know what a statement. Welcome to the next forty-seven years, and he only signed a contract through twenty twenty-five. Right. College football fans, hooray! What a future, hooray! Program on the rise. There's too many words here for Arkansas, by the way. No, it's but it's really good. Okay, okay. Have you read this one? I've read them all. Okay. One thing Chad will benefit from, Chad Morris, the new coach, is from the way Brett ran a clean program. There won't be a character... Couldn't clean his own body, <laughs> but ran a clean program. There won't be character programs in that locker room. As a new coach... How could he reach all the spots? <laughs> I'm just asking, how, if he's showering and you're Brett Bielema, all due respect. Are you asking for future How do you physically get to all the... Anyway. And as a new coach, that's a huge relief. Those guys may not be the perfect fit for what Chad wants to do, but they'll bust their ass for him. There won't be pushback, at least at the level most of us deal with, when you arrive as the new guy in the block. Look, new guys are there because the other guy failed. The other guy usually failed because he lost the team. Brett never lost that team. That's interesting. Yes. The lost the team thing is very interesting because I do, I do think players love Brett Bielema. Um, I don't know if the fans They played well towards the end of the year. They almost beat Mississippi State, you know. What's interesting is I think, you know, talking to Chad at SEC Media Days, I think he's a super cerebral, like he's very thoughtful, you know, like he's just really kind of a... Not a meathead? Not even close. He's also very tiny. He's like smaller than you. Um, but I, I think... that's small. No, but you're, you're svelte. Okay. If we both turn sideways, okay. be big, there'd be a big difference. 170. Um, I, I, he's, he's a smaller guy, but he's very cerebral, very analytical. Um, but I think the fans in Arkansas know it's going to take some time. Yeah, to switch. Th th nobody has a greater switch from a stylistic standpoint than they do. LSU. I like Ed. We skipping or or Auburn? Oh, Auburn. Sorry. The defensive line has been the biggest growth area under Bus. Gus. Gus. They're serious about it, and they're as good as anyone in our league on the two deep. They're big and they're fast on the edge, and they can get to the quarterback, and they're so stout up the middle. I'm shocked at the – not shocked that Auburn's good or that the scouting report, that Kevin Steele's the guy responsible. Right. We, that's one where we all got wrong. We're like, what are they doing? I don't know if I got it wrong or we got it wrong. I still – maybe we did. I don't know. I, I'm good. They've been good on defense, and I use that a lot. On he's talking been, about he's been moved around that, in the SEC a lot. So. I use that point about Auburn a lot when I'm talking about them in the offseason. Like that, that, They're a great defensive yeah. front. Yeah, that's why I like him this year. LSU. I like Ed. I really do. He can win there. And maybe he can develop into a guy that stays there for a while. But he has to let his coaches coach. What he did with Matt Canada was ridiculous. You paid him all that money to get him on board, and then a couple weeks into the season, you're bailing on him. I don't know all the specifics, and if Canada wasn't a good fit with the rest of the staff, but I know what Canada has accomplished in this game. He knows what he's doing. ha <laughs> Ben Gall, you are the you are the only member of the the, the it's founding. It's Terrence Phillips and it's Terrence Phillip and me in the blame Canada crew. Crew, we just blame Canada. No, I I don't. I I think that if you have a certain system and your coach, your head coach decides to change the system on you midway through the year and force you to do something, that's probably going to affect you. He's also had a lot of bad offenses, so I, I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that. It was a I, weird situation. I think that's fair, and I think that's also describes the state. LSU. Yeah, yes, the state of the program. Ole Miss. Um, this one's kind of harsh. I don't care what anyone says or how they try to spin it. There, this is a dead program walking at least for a couple of years. They lost an elite quarterback and receiver because they didn't want to hang around for the NCAA fallout, and they're still dealing with that on the road and recruiting. Now they're recruiting pretty well. I I, I would say though the insight here though is the fact that this. These coaches coach against this 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 team all the time, and they know what the parents are saying. So the, the fact that it's out there, people are out there negative recruiting all the time is not a shock, yeah. and I think should be expected. 
I think they're going to score a boatload of points this year because they have a quarterback and receivers in place. I don't know what the future of the program is going to look like. So I tend to agree with this, the, the, the analysis there. Mississippi State. I don't think you can un- underestimate the loss of Dan Mullen. I'm not going. I'm not trying to do that by saying Joe can't can't be successful. Can't, sorry, can't be successful there. The truth of the matter is Dan probably took that program as far as he could take it, and took it where many thought it couldn't go. That's a big bar to reach for Joe. It was time for Dan to leave. He knew it. We all knew it. Sometimes it's just the natural turn. Well, and when the Florida program comes open, where you used to coach there and won national titles, and it's a great job and all. But he also tried to leave your former bosses there. Like it's the perfect time. But he also, you know, I I think the fact that it's as far as you could take Mississippi State is interesting line. Well, they were number one in the country for three weeks too. Well, but that's that. Everybody gets to be highly rated from time to time. It's it's how far can you take the program? And he never won a division. And I don't know if you can take that program any further as long as Nick Saban's around, at least. Right. Right. I mean. Not saying they can't win an SEC West. They have won one, but can't say they they're not going to win one in the next. What five year was that? Ninety eight. Okay. The next five or ten years, but to be to sustain success at that level is just probably not. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting. Again, some of these are about the coach. Some of these are about the players. Some of these are about decisions and strategy. Some of them are about the program, and that to me is a statement on okay. the program. Wrapping up our entire our, pod, our Power Five. I'll tell you, Texas A&M, I'll tell you what, if Jimbo thinks the media was too harsh on him at FSU, <laughs> wait until he finishes fourth in the SEC West. Did you read um, uh, the ESPN article about message boards? I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago. No, I don't think so. It was all about how the Texas A&M president had a fake name on the message board, and it was a lot oh. about Texags and stuff. We have a lot of friends, of course, at Texags, um, and it just to A&M is just a, my goodness, it's a strange place. It's, it's an amazing football mecca. It is awesome. But it isn't. It's different. It's like LSU to some degree. There's just this oddity there that feels weird when you try to analyze it, when you try to analyze why they've done what they've done and what they haven't done. And it's just very strange. But it's a beautiful building and the fans are great and like it's it's biggest student section in the country. Oh, and it's standing down there looking up. It's unbelievable. It's a great, great, great place to watch a game. Um, much love to the fans, but it is crazy down there. They want to win. Yes, they and because do. they haven't won big, oh they're God. starving. If you can imagine what would happen if they won an I mean, SEC it's, title. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's almost like when the Chicago Cubs won. You know, just like there, there's not – it's a it's different pretty, It's pretty close. Yeah, it's Texas, Texas A&M football championship? Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's pretty close. It's about 100 years too. So. Yeah. Uh, what else? Anything you take away from all of this stuff? That's our Power 5. If you want to read all of them, buy all the regional magazines. Buy a whole booklet of them all. Yeah, no, it's it's always a fun exercise. We, like I said, we learn a lot about the teams. Um, it's fun. It's just it, the coaches enjoy it. We enjoy reading it. And I, I know it's very popular. Um, uh, I know that we're putting up on, on, our, on our website, athlonsports.com, this week. So, um, yeah. Just, You'll be able to read the full ones there. If you, if you don't read the website a lot and you listen to the pod all the time, you can read the entirety of all of these all over the website uh, all week this week. So, yeah. it should be a lot of fun. And it's, it's, it's our it, – it literally – I don't know how many years I've been with the company now, 12 years, 13 years. It's my favorite. It is my favorite um, part of the magazine that we have every year. So there you go. Anything how's else how's you everything like else going, Brad? It's good. I'm tired. You're tired? I'm tired. Long yeah. day. Work, yeah. You're well, working. Just like a long, just a long life. Long Changing life. diapers. Yeah. Yeah. How are the kids? They're good. They're good. Um, we went to a like a cool, fancy part of town because for my wife's birthday over the weekend. Ooh. And the kids were at the grandparents overnight. And we, we realized. Have dinner? I mean, we didn't realize. We knew we weren't cool. Um, but man, when you, oh, yeah. what were you talking when you about? Go like, when you go out at like six thirty, and you're home before ten, and you're like, man, oh, yeah. we stayed out so late. Oh yeah, and it's like ten o three when you're getting in bed. You're like, oh man, yeah. life is very. Did different. you go out to dinner? My wife wanted to go to a bar for cocktails. Okay, like a we fancy, were, like a fancy cocktail there's bar. Enough people that probably listen to us that live in Nashville or come to Nashville, you can say where you went, can't you? Uh, sure, I mean, went to L.A. Jackson, which is a rooftop bar on the Never Thompson Hotel. I'm just not um, cool. Neither are we. Okay. That's why we left quickly. Then we, went, then we wanted to go get appetizers at another place and then dinner at another place. Wow. So she wanted three different places for her birthday. Very demanding. So I, well, no, and spontaneous. So okay. all she picked was the first one, and then we just kind of decided okay. on the rest of them. So we walked around this fancy, cool area of town called The Gulch, which we are not really cool enough to go hang out in. And as we were riding home in the Uber at 949, Ooh, crazy kids. we were like, how do we feel like we've been out all night long and it's not even 10 o'clock? We had a great night, though. Good. And we didn't talk to anybody else. Just the two of us. It was like adults dating again. It was wonderful. Good. Have, kids are a joy. <laughs> yes, they are. Kids are a joy. Will my kids be able to listen to this one day? 
Will they archived? Or will yeah. we? Hopefully, we'll still be doing it. We'll still be. That's true. Remember, I said eighty fifty. I more played, eighty years old. I played the part of the podcast for Zoe when we were talking about Zoe. Oh, I had it to go over. Fine, she liked it. We can be friends if she, she wants. wanted to do a whole. She wants us to do a whole podcast about her. Zoe's a big fan of Zoe, by the way. <laughs> Not surprised. Yes. By that. <laughs> um, yeah, however, she wants to be friends. Well, I'd like to do. be friends. I don't. Know how do I don't know how to be friends with people? How do I do that? <laughs> Maybe you can go like meet up at Live on the Green. That's fair. Yeah, that would allow me. To, that would require me to be out of the house after nine o'clock. Though, so I don't know. Okay, I'm not sure. I haven't. Like I said, ten o'clock was late for me. Okay, all right. Kind of- Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, buy magazines, download the pod, all that good stuff. Thank you guys. Uh, Mitch Light, Braden Gall at Athlon Mitch at Braden Gall. Cover two podcasts.